All we're right, live. We're go. live. Our, our guest is uh, in the dark. No, yeah, our guest is working stuff out over there, trying to get a little bit more lighting. But in the meantime, why don't we uh, uh, welcome everybody? We got a bunch of listeners on already. People come on early. MC Audio was already here with Peter Pranzo, Edward Kelly, Dawn Marie. They already checked in. So uh, why don't we just start the show? Ah, there you go. Look Man, at you. This, this is the former Yonkers police commissioner. He's uh, he's figuring it out here. All right, so let's do an official <laughs> intro. Is here. that better? Uh, is that better, Mr. Scorsese? Yeah, that's, actually, that's much better. 100% better. So here we go. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. I'm Mark DeMeo. I'm your host, my co-host, my partner in all things law enforcement is with me tonight. What's up, Bill Cannon? I'm doing good, man. This is like uh, Ed Hartnett's like a frequent flyer. I think this is like his third time on the show. And I know that he doesn't like to be interrupted because he's always home counting hundred dollar bills. It's, this is just my this is just my personal purgatory, gentlemen. Thank you. Yeah. He's up there somewhere in the palatial estate. So for our audience, if you're tuning in for the first time and if you've never seen our guest before, I'm going to introduce him to you. He's a past guest. He's very very funny. On top of that, he's a retired NYPD chief. He was also the police commissioner of Yonkers PD, and he's the current president of Risk Management LLC. Good evening, Edmund Harnett, and welcome back. Good evening, Mark. Good evening, Bill. Thanks for having me back again. You guys are scraping the bottom of the barrel again. Yeah. <laughs> we have guests all over the world. They're going to think of, wow, this guy was wow, the police guess- he was the I police guess Pee Wee Herman wasn't available, right? So you got me. <laughs> they, they, they don't know where Yonkers is, though. Could you tell them where Yonkers is? <laughs> Yonkers is the the Tony community of Yonkers. is located just north of New York City, borders the Bronx. Uh, it's a great place to work. The Yonkers folks are uh, uh, warm and fuzzy once you get to know them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was a great place. I had a great run. Did you get, did you get your COVID shot yet? Uh, no, coming up soon, though. With all your connections, you couldn't have gotten in the front of the line? Ah, what am I going to do? I'm going to give the Heisman to some uh, some guy 20 years older than me? No, hey, I'll get in. Ed, I said the same thing. I said, you know what? I could go now, but I'm going to make I want to make sure all the frontline get it. Frontline workers get it first. Exactly. And then if they survive, then I'll go get it. Yeah. You're just <laughs> waiting for the guy to drop dead in front of you, right? Exactly. exactly. I got it on Saturday at the uh, Javits Center. It was oh, very, cool. it was very efficiently run. They have the uh, National Guard there running it, and they run it like a military operation. They did great. In fact, I even left my uh, hat about you know where I was sitting when I checked in, and this this National Guard guy come and he threw it to me like a frisbee about 20, 30 yards away. It's a, per- <laughs> a perfect throw with my hat. <laughs> Good thing it wasn't your wallet. That's true. No, it wasn't you your wallet because they need three Mark, guys to lift it. Yeah, you need a lot of guys. That, that'd be a whole, you have to get like a Humvee to carry your wallet. <laughs> what did they used to say? Uh, it's as cold as, as the money in a boss's wallet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like a guy would say, uh, if I had your money, I'd burn mine. Yeah. <laughs> well, they used to, you know, they implied a boss never went into his wallet. Hey, uh, uh, yeah. Some poor little cop making 45K a year. Officer, go get me some coffee, right? Yeah. And pay for it, too. <laughs> I was real careful about who I, who brought coffee back. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they could poison your ass, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what else is going on? How's the bowler rap going? Uh, it's, it's kind of on hiatus now. So uh, it's a great product. Uh, uh, I'm hoping that, you know, it's, I think it's beneficial to law enforcement if there's, if they're exploring 
you know, all kinds of less lethal devices out there, especially in these troubled times. Uh, you know, you see departments, some of them, you know, they limited equipment, you know, they go from, you know, verbal commands, you know, right to the gun sometimes. And, you know, anything you have in between that can avert a tragedy. Uh, as I said last time, you know, a lot of times, sometimes anyway, uh, you know, shootings, you know, we call them lawful, but awful. And uh, nobody wants that, you know, just so just because a grand jury says, you know, you're exonerated, you know, if you could do something else that prevents the taking of a human life, you know, I think all these things need to be explored a bit more. Ed, are you like an Irish poet, like with that lawful but awful thing, you know, or, or a rapper? What do you, what do you? <laughs> I, I, probably a combination. Could be a little Irish <laughs> rap in there too, you know. I think that was well said. I, you bring up a lot of good points there, you know. Uh, but unfortunately, I, I just have a feeling like nobody's looking to invest any money into police departments in the major cities anyway, even if it's at the cost of saving lives. They don't want to put, they don't want to put more money in a budget. Hey Nick yeah. the Goat, thanks for the four ninety nine super chat. Thank you, brother. <laughs> we have people, Ed. We have people now actually throwing us money, so we don't have to be on the COVID line. <laughs> I think, I think with all due respect, I'm one of them. I get a, right. I get a bill every month. That's right. You're the. I'm on the, the, I get a mug, a dipped in butter mug. Uh, I, uh, I think this is going to open doors for me someday. I, I'm expecting when restaurants open up that I get tables ringside. Uh, oh, I think it's going to happen. happen, especially in Yonkers. <laughs> a lot of good stuff's going to happen. Me being the dipped in butter uh, tier. I, I think I'm in the top tier as I, as I, as I, I think I'm in the top tier anyway. Well, one thing you're definitely going to be as a Patreon subscriber, you're definitely going to get a free copy of uh, my album which I'm going to record in April. It got postponed because of the COVID, but we're going to record it in April. Uh, spot yet to be determined, but I'll make an announcement. So everybody at Patreon customers are going to get that. <laughs> nice. Now, what's that? Uh, kazoo songs you know and love? What is that? It's everything. <laughs> kazoo songs. I, <laughs> I always wanted to do an act with uh, with uh, with a guitar. Or, but then I was learning how to play the guitar, but I didn't want to lug it around. So I'm just going to like, I'm going to sing the song that I wrote and then I'll just play it air guitar for you. And you can see. You should have got, you should have got a nice. ukulele. It's lighter. You can nice. carry it around easier, you know. Ukulele's coming back. I say it's making a comeback. Know, so good. MC's audio. Thank you, Edward Kelly. Peter Pranzo, the great, great legendary lieutenant peter pranzo another three two guy ed you probably even knew him from the three two pranzo great man a great, great man, man right sergeant pranzo sergeant pranzo struck fear in the hearts of bad guys up and down 8th avenue 7th avenue 6th avenue in the 32nd precinct God hey, bless you. hey you're giving him a woody take it easy all right <laughs> and, and and also uh an accomplished author uh that's right i, I have his that's book it? and i think he might be working on another one but uh Pete is Harlem a multi-talented Renaissance man. That's right, yeah, the Harlem Raiders. We have a lot of a lot of famous authors, uh, retired NYPD, who've been on the show. But I mean, we we lost the my train of thought, which was. Hey, Mark. First of all, someone just gave us a 1999 super chat, and then Duty Ron gave us ten. So we'll live in large. Thank you guys for hey, keeping us. Aaron Rodriguez, <laughs> by the way, who also sent us the wine. Oh, he's the man. Yeah, thank you for the wine. I, um, Bill tried it. I drank the whole thing. Yeah, I'm saving it for a gift. Uh, gift, you know, like if I got to go to somebody's house. Oh, you're gonna re-gift it? You can't tell the guy that. <laughs> I'm oh kidding. My God. Harry, I'm well, kidding. People are throwing us money all over the place. Someone just threw us twenty four ninety nine and who, who, Nick the Goat. Oh my God! Look at this. We're living large here. Thank you so much, you guys. 
Hey, this, is like being on a, uh, this is like being on a Jerry Lewis telethon. It is. Wow. It is. Rachella Pranzo, of course, the wife is here. Grandma on the beach. Aaron Rodriguez, good to see you, buddy. Duty Ron, thank you for all you do for us. Diane B., Janine Goodwin, Sam DeFiglia, whoa, one of my old buddies from the 2-0. Uh, Dawn Marie, Justin McCormick, Carolyn, Candy Scarrett, Melody McAtee, Diane B. Look at all of these fans. This is great. Thank you, guys. If you're not, if you haven't subscribed yet to our uh, YouTube channel, please do so. Nathaniel Sam, Mark is sipping on something. You're right. I'd like to know what he's sipping on. Nick the Goat, thanks, brother. Diane B., Miss Angel. Angela P three two three three Tim Acosta. Wow, look at all these fans coming into this chat. Ania Benina Strell. I love that name. Nick to go. Hey Ed, we're gonna get back Tim to Tim Acosta. And I, Aaron you, Rodriguez. I, I think I packed the cloud, man. I think I'm a cloud packer. Yeah, ninety Z Patriot. Look at all these Nick to go. Oh my god, what this hey, I'm uh, overwhelmed no, here. No, just give me one second while well, we got everybody tuning in and we got them hot right now. If you live in the area. I'm going to be playing at Mohegan Sun this Sunday, Comics Roadhouse, 8 p.m. showtime this Sunday, March 7th, 8 p.m. showtime at the Mohegan Sun Comics Roadhouse. If you're in the area of Ro Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Connecticut, um, I don't expect you to schlep all the way there if you're further than that. But if you're in the area, come by, say hello, and uh, we'll have a great time. And if you drink, don't drive. <laughs> all right anyway listen edmund you're here tonight um you see what you got into you see how the the show's changed hasn't it it's jay it's it's like the home shopping network now it's great <laughs> and we haven't even done the commercial yet well, hey, hey, hey mark look at that that was when he was handsome he was he was that was when he was the youngest wow. pc look at that guy that was he last week. Got, he got older looking, man. But he looked, that was look at last that. week, man. Yeah, that was last week. <laughs> that was many, many moons ago. That's you know, many, many suits ago. You know, and honestly. And then look at that. I'll even show you a Yonkers vehicle so you, your tears will run down the side I think, of your face. I think I wrote the check for that thing. I don't know. <laughs> you know what? If I had to suggest a new host for Jeopardy, it would be you, Edmund. Oh, thank you. I thank think you, you do a great job. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Are you opposing that picture? It looks like you were on the pillar. Like, oh like, yeah, that's yeah. And listen, I am just very happy to be here with you, gentlemen. To to be with you guys is like, it's like I'm on the the comedy Mount Rushmore. You know, yeah. it's, it's like you two. It's like DeMeo, Cannon, uh, no, Richard Pryor. Uh, what's on the screen? And, and George Collins. What's on the screen is the comedy Mount Rushmore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's indeed an honor to be with you, gentlemen. Oh, look, Peter Pranzo uh, jumped on board with uh, ten dollar. Peter, uh, thank you so thank much, Peter Pranzo. Hey, Pete, we got it when in the summer. We got to come out to your house for a barbecue. Maybe Richella can make us some uh, pasta fazool or something. And like how about that, you know? <laughs> hey, hey, us out there? Because I know you got some spread out there. What, what do you got? How many acres you got? Who are you talking about? Me or Pranzo? You. Oh me! Uh, listen, I I live in a modest community in uh, upstate New York, uh, uh -huh. not by the Canadian border. I know you think Scarsdale? it's the Canadian border. It's not. Ooh, it's Scarsdale. <laughs> no, on the other side. Of, on the, he's on the a, he's side a of Rockland the County guy. You can't tell from that like Rockland attitude he has. You can't tell from my tree. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's very tropical up here. Are you on the water? No, no. Well, the Hudson's not that far away, but what down the block? <laughs> down the block and. 
over the hill and far away. It's in the backyard. Hey, hey Ed, you know any of these guys on the screen? <laughs> I sure do. My, my good buddy in the middle, Joe Gallucci, great man. What was that from? Uh, it's got to be some detail. That, it looks like New Year's Eve or something. I don't know. Yeah, just something I pulled up. It seems like a lot of mad bosses, you know? <laughs> yeah. Joe's, Joe's a steady, cool, complicated guy. Joe's a great man. That's the guy who's the captain? No, the guy in the middle, the full bird. Well, he's a, he's a deputy chief now. Oh, okay. Okay. And then the other captain guy. Is, the captain is, is just yelling like, hey, you know, didn't I get, where's my chicken parmesan right, hero? Yeah, where's the coffee, rookie, right? And the other guy is Waters, right? The guy to that's, the left. That's Jim Waters. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I don't know who the who the female is. She looks like she's a lieutenant. I don't know. All right, something important. So you know, we should probably talk about some police stuff, right? The the uh, the big story in the news this uh, in the last few days was the city of Ithaca, New York, the home of Cornell University, Ithaca College, and the Finger Lakes. The mayor wants to make half his police department civilian. Did you see that, Ed? Yeah, yeah. You know, it seems like they want to go down this road until something bad happens. Even Minneapolis, I'm hearing now, the, the city council people are saying, wait, time out. We need to spend more money on the police, more money on training, more money on equipment. Uh, I think they put six four, $6.4 million. Minneapolis folded. They put $6.4 million into new classes and into uh, back into the police department. Yeah, so they, you know, they they seem to have a feel good moment when they say defund the police. Uh, then they realize what that means. You know, uh, I've heard people say, you know, send, don't send the police anymore to emotionally disturbed person jobs. Well, they you do. Know, yourself, yeah, cops don't like those jobs, but they know they have to go, especially because right. there's a potential for violence there. You even have some people not going to the extreme. And I heard this recently. Uh, don't send cops to family disputes and don't send cops to opioid overdoses. There's uh, a new pilot program in Harlem. I think it's the 2A, the 3O, and the 3-2. They're going to start sending clinicians out with another civilian something or other, um, and they're, they're going to respond to EDPs. For the, um, and that's the pilot program that's starting effective very, very soon. And, and you know what? I'm, I'm not totally against involvement by them. They're going to be able to handle some of them. Uh, I think eventually it's going to be maybe kind of a, a tandem thing where they, they accompany the police, which might not be a bad idea. But you know yourself, when it says EDP, the radio run, you know, that could be a 90-year-old person in a wheelchair with dementia, or it could be a guy going absolutely crazy, wrecking the place and, and beating up his mom and dad. And what are they going to do when they get that guy? How are they going to handle him? They're going to have to call the police. Right. So, well, Ed, you know they used to have, and I'm sure you know also, they used to have those mental health removal orders. Yeah. And then two, what psychologists would show up, and uh, they would still enlist the police in picking this guy up. So that's it's almost going to be like that. But if they send the the social workers or the psychologists by themselves, I think that's a big mistake. You know. Well, that's what they're starting to do in those three precincts in Harlem. And it's coming up very, very soon. I just read it today. And uh, it's a pilot program. You know the way those things happen in the police department. But here's the thing. Are you going to send uh, an escort car with the clinicians and just lay back to see? Because now you just wasted two guys. And then, God forbid, something uh, you know happens. Now you're going to have to call for backup. So, and, you know, I don't even know the stats, but if you looked at the whole universe in a year, 
of how many, just in the NYPD, how many radio runs that the cops go to and the sergeants go to and emergency services rolling on, on all these EDP jobs. And, and, and how many of them go bad? How many of them wind up in a tragedy? Most of them are handled efficiently, effectively. And, and the cops don't really want to do those, but you know, you get hurt on those jobs a lot, but, but they also want to be a cop. There were also those calls where you go to, I remember when I was in the 102 as a rookie and going to this radio call almost every day or any other day, it was Italian, I mean, it's Indian family and the guy was old man and he would drink and he wants somebody to talk to. So every day you'd go there or every other day and you have to sit down there, talk to him for a little while and then you leave. So, uh, you know, this way he doesn't bother his family too much when he gets, uh, when he gets really drunk. So, and that used to happen almost every other day. It was like a babysitting thing. But maybe yeah. they can do those jobs, you know. But the potential for danger, listen, that they can handle some of them, I'm sure. And they'll, they'll probably do a history check. Uh, but, you know, the real violent ones, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt. And that's why you're going to need stuff like what you're talking about, the uh, less, you know, non – well, they don't even call them non-lethal anymore, right? They call them less than lethal. Less lethal. Yep, less than less lethal. lethal. The tasers and the uh, bolo wrap. For you folks uh, listening that don't know what bolo wrap is, it's basically a net that shoots at you. It wraps around your legs and it incapacitates you. And in that time, the police could come and get you handcuffed and hopefully not get hurt. Well, that no one gets hurt. Video to add. We didn't add the. We, you didn't add that one, did you? Me getting bolo wrapped. No, because I don't know what happened to all of that stuff. We and plus, I don't want to give them a free commercial. Yeah. <laughs> I, had, I had it. I had. It. I didn't think about it. In fact, Mark, you want it's talk about commercial? Go ahead. Do you do your well, thing? You know, we were lucky enough to get sponsored. We've had a bunch of sponsors in the in the past that wanted to join up, but we weren't really ready yet. And then uh, this opportunity popped up, and Bill and I were ready. We were excited about it. It's the best hot sauce in the world, folks. It's called Silk City Hot Sauce. It's made in small batches with pure ingredients. Locally grown peppers are the foundation of every bottle of Silk City Hot Sauce. There are several flavors from mild to wild. And they have crazy labels. If you look on the right there, that's one of their uh, pieces of artwork. Please go to SilkCityHotSauce.com. Put in the uh, coupon code of OTC. That stands for Off the Cuff OTC and get a 15% discount. The bottles are between like five and six bucks and you get like four for 20. You know, it's not a whole lot of money and they all, they're all awesome. I've had all five of them now. I, I add a little bit of hot sauce to everything I have because I'm in a special diet right now. So uh, check it out, SilkCityHotSauce.com. Cool, man. Yeah, you did that better this time, man. You're getting better at doing this commercial. Last week you were all over the place, you know. I got I to gotta hear about this special diet that requires hot sauce. What's up with that? Well, no, I, I, <laughs> I, I cut out all the uh, – I'm not eating meat right now. I'm, I'm on this uh, low acidity. But if I need to – everything I eat is like kind of sort of like uh, a little – like bland a little bit. So um, – I'll add a little bit of that hot sauce to it and it spikes it up. It wakes it up and everything. Cheerios, everything? Nah, I don't have milk anymore or Cheerios. All right. Coconut milk now. All right. Okay. Never have that? Once. Yeah. It's good. So Ed, have you been going to Florida at all? Don't you, you have a place in Florida, right? On the West Coast? Uh I haven't been down in a while, but uh, you know, we'll get back down there. You know, when I mean we were here, you know, during some of the some of the crisis, but you know, it's it's uh, we'll stay close to home for now, and hopefully things get better in twenty twenty one. 
Yeah, I'm I'm dying to go down there after I get my second shot. I think after Easter, I'm, I'd like to go down there. You're going to be down there then? I'll help you count your hundreds on the yeah, West thanks, Coast. Thanks for the heads up. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you go when you're down there? Where, what, have, when? Well, no, what, what, what do you have? Uh, you got a, a, co a condo over there or something? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with a moat around it. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> no, it's great, man. It's great. You, you listen, everybody's doing better than me, man. Hey, you got a nice couch behind you there, unless that's one of those images. Yeah, it's one of those <laughs> that, It is. It's one of the, <laughs> That's it's a green couch, screen. Man. <laughs> this is what my apartment would look like. That's nice, man. That's if you put nice. it coming, that, 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 that portrait and that couch, that's coming back, man. Hang on to that. <laughs> if, if, you put, if you put my apartment on the second floor and gave me an extra three rooms, this is what it would look like. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we just uh, – we we can't ignore the news. I'm not going to beat up anyone. We're not going to criticize anyone. But what do you think of um, – Chief of Department Monaghan now being appointed to this new position where he's going to help get the city back on track. It's a huge job because the city is really off track right now. I, I wish you luck. Listen, uh, Terry and I were, were sergeants in the mid-80s in the 46th precinct in the Bronx. Uh, I wish him luck. Uh, I, I also wish uh, the new Chief of Department, Rodney Harrison, who's, a, who's an outstanding uh, police leader. Uh, I think he'll do very well as Chief of Department. Uh, he's got all the tools, you know, he's sharp, he knows the street, he's well-respected, he's plugged into the community. I mean, the guy, the guy checks off all the boxes. So Rodney, you know, Ed, I'm a big Ed, fan you, of his. You almost sound like a politician. You, you talk about checking all the boxes. Holy shit. I, I, checked thought, all the boxes. I would have thought you were just running for mayor. You were going to announce uh, it. Yeah. Um, that when I'm talking about myself, then I'll check off all the boxes. <laughs> I'm talking about Rodney. Rodney's a good man. Bill brings up an interesting point. Would you ever consider politics? No, you know, I, 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 some friends approached me a while back about running for sheriff in my county, and uh, it, it's it would be tough. You know, I like I like what I'm doing. I like the the private world now, and I like the consulting business and uh, running for office and and really, you know, trying to raise funds and 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 have you know all these events to try to raise money for a campaign. I, I think it just wouldn't be my cup of tea. Hey, you know, money's not everything. Sometimes you got to give back a little bit too. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, and and now nobody's phoning in with more donations. You notice yeah, that? Yeah, you know that, that that cop that was buying you coffee for years. He wants his money back. He wants his money I back. Think, I think you'd be a great a great candidate for any position. Oh, I, I, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, why the hell not? I mean, it's a it's it's actually like uh, you owe it to us, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. And let Thanks me ask you much. something about your consulting business. All right. Act, do you get up every day and have something to do regarding that or no? You know, it's, you know, it's great. I, I do most days, but I, I was telling a friend the other day, cause he's kind of like, you know, scratching his head going, what the hell do you do anyway? Uh, and it took me a while to figure out what I do. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, the way I described it is right now, not that I'm, I'm not in a, in a full-time position at a company anymore, working for somebody else. I, I do, you know, what I want, where I want, when I want, with who I want. Uh, and it's worked out great. I'm doing some police consulting. I'm on two projects now. I work for companies now and help them with their growth strategies and their business development. Uh, I refer some work. When I get a call, you know, a good company does X, Y, Z. I, I pass that work on to them. And uh, so it's it's working out great. I mean, I, I'm still, it's in myself, 
gainfully employed and so full you, time. you consult companies that aren't even in the police business. Uh, yeah, or they might be indirectly involved in a police business. Like, for example, I'm working with a company now, and they're a great bunch of guys. They're uh, Richie from New Jersey, and they have a they have a product that's basically electronic. To, to put it in layman's terms, which I am, it's electronic floor plans or electronic electronic blueprints. So, right now, in any facility, you talk about hospitals, schools, colleges, corporate complexes, banks, financial institutions, uh, somewhere in that building is a floor plan, an emergency plan if something bad happens, active shooter, fire, flood, evacuation, whatever. Somewhere in that building, there's a floor plan. But where is it? It's in a binder. It's in a folder. Uh, it's in the trunk of somebody's car. <laughs> these guys, and, and these guys have taken military-grade technology and now brought it into the private sector and the public sector. So now they, they'll take your local high school, or they'll take the corporate complex down the block, and they'll They'll get all the floor plans, the paper blueprints, all that stuff. They'll walk the floor. They'll mark off everything, exits, fire exits, gas lines, uh, all that stuff. And they'll put that into your phone or your tablet. So when the, when the, God forbid something bad happens, when there's an evacuation situation, when there's an active shooter, the first responders all show up. They hit a button. Now every first responder has that on a tablet. Now they know exactly what's going on and they know exactly where to go. This this CRG plans is the name of the company. This company is taking off. I mean, they're in hospitals, schools. I think they're in several hundred school buildings alone in New Jersey. How do they keep uh, the bad guys from getting the floor plans? Well, it's a, it's a good point. You, you have to have permission to get access. So, you know, the, the cops will have it. The firemen will have it. And and key select security people have it. And even even in a security guard situation, you may give it to the guard for the for the event. And then you take it off his phone when the event is over. So the, the technology is incredible. You know, that's part of uh, really what emergency management is. Also, like there's also sp supposed to be a second site, whereas if your your main site got disabled by a fire, explosion, anything, you'd be ready to go up and running within hours at another site. And all companies, major companies, are supposed to have that ability to do Yeah, that. there's redundancy plans in, in effect, uh, business continuity plans in effect, uh, but again, this is more about, you know, the bad thing happening right now and how and how do we how do we all get on the same page literally, but in this case it's an electronic page. So you're not looking for that folder. We we would tell people during demos that the scenario is you have a command center in your office complex and your your 15 20 story building and now there's an active shooter and your your emergency plan is in the command center and so is the active shooter. So how do you get to your plan? You right. can't because he's there. And he's holding hostages. So, again, it goes in your phone. It goes in your iPad. So everybody's on the same page. They can coordinate their their uh, advance on this individual or individuals, whether it's a school, a hospital, whatever. So it's uh, it's really starting to take off. And I'm, I'm, I'm very proud and happy to be associated with these guys. Yeah, that sounds, it sounds like an amazing company. And I'm surprised they don't have that already. But it sounds like something that, like, especially when you take into account, you start off with all the city buildings. You start off with all the federal buildings. Um, and then you can get into uh, regular commercial buildings as well. But the, you got business right away, just between making sure that all the federal buildings, you know, the insides, the outsides, for example, the Capitol. You know what I'm saying? If somebody could have stepped back with what you're talking about and just looked at the plans and say, okay, we're going to guide them, push them all in this direction. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's it's a great tool. And I got to say, too, the, the, the young man who's one of the heads of the company, uh, a very humble guy, 
His name is Mike Rogers. Uh, he's become a good friend of mine. He's, and I'm very proud of just to be affiliated with this guy. He's a real American hero. Uh, this guy's a West Point graduate, Jersey kid, West Point graduate. Is there, Ed, is, is that that company Rogers Incorporated that's on LinkedIn? Uh, it's uh, the Rogers Group. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, that's. I was that's trying to his, get them to advertise with us. We almost had them. <laughs> that's his dad, uh, Frank Rogers, who also is a great American. But Mike Rogers is again. He's a West Point graduate, Army captain, five tours in Afghanistan, uh, and again, he's one of the guys that's taking this technology into the private world now. Wow. Oh, so it's not the company's not public yet. Not yet. No. What's the name? Uh, you'll be the first to know, Mark. Rogers Rogers Group. Rogers Group. Yeah. Rogers. Group. But but the, this company's called CRG Plans. Uh, that does these images, so it's separate from the Rogers Group, but they're they're affiliated, obviously. You but. know, and it's some somewhat. I was thinking of uh, when you're talking about this, and it's it's a great idea, but it's like remember the NIMS system, uh, mm -hmm. the National Emergency Management System, where if it's a major disaster comes, it you're you're up and running with that system. You know, it tells you mm -hmm. how to respond to the disaster. That's somewhat what this is. But uh, on a building-to-building -building basis, yeah, NIMS. You'd plug NIMS in. Like the first responders would would follow the NIMS model, and and they would have the images as part of their response to the to the catastrophe. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. You know, it's, we were talking about stuff. that Ed with um with resp death response, homicide investigation response. There needs to be a national system because some of these bumfuck places have no idea how to respond to a death investigation and how to investigate a homicide. Some of them have that coroner system and the coroner could be a high school graduate that, you know, uh, is the mayor's daughter or, or some political connection. And when you think about, you know, the importance of responding to a death investigation, there should be some kind of national system on that also. Yeah. I was involved in a project in a nearby state. I can't name it. Uh, and it was, you know, sadly, not to not to knock the local guys, but it was a small agency. Uh, they weren't equipped to handle this. And, you know, it's pretty much a given that 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 everybody knows who killed this guy. But the the initial response and, you know, Bill, better than me, the initial response is so important. And a lot of the basic stuff wasn't done initially. Gathering evidence, getting statements, doing canvases. It wasn't done. And sadly, you know. This killer's walking around free because of it. Right. Yeah, and you see that all the time across the country in different places that Especially don't have so like experience. With uh, you know, <laughs> Netflix special. So you got The Ripper, which was the guy in England, how they, they kept saying uh, he was going after prostitutes. And there was so many cases before that that he wasn't going after prostitutes. He was just taking whoever he could. It just so happened that prostitutes wound up becoming mostly available. Did you see that documentary, The, the Ripper? No, I, I saw the commercial for it. No, I got to check it out. And then there's the other one about the Night Stalker. I wasn't on the job then, Mark, just so you know. I wasn't on the job. It was, 19, it was 1972. You sure as hell were. No, <laughs> he's talking about Jack the Ripper. No, no, no. no it's, a, it's another Ripper. That the Ripper oh. in, in His name was Peter Sutcliffe. Yeah. Oh, and okay, then, okay. Very understood. I wasn't on the job then either. Got away with it for for a long, long time because the detectives were hell bent on finding somebody, you know, with the prostitutes. That's that was their whole investigation, and also too, you have the uh, the new one too with uh, the Night Stalker, also another special for those of our audience that are fans of true crime. These these documentaries they're lengthy, and they, you know, 
you, you learn a lot, but you also you're also getting parts of the investigation that you know had had they done something different, but they, they might have caught the guy earlier. Well, Ed, uh, Duty Ron, who's a retired detective, just reminded me there's a case in the Midwest in Idaho, Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow, and they could potentially be responsible for as many as five homicides, and it crosses state lines. So the different states weren't aware of the cases in the other states, and in one of the cases where Chad Daybell most likely killed his wife, there was no autopsy. Because he was like politically connected, he was like a powerful guy, a rich guy, a religious, a preacher. So they were sort of intimidated by his position, and the the, the murders were done. It seems sort of clandestinely, possibly with like injections that caused cardiac arrest. Mm-hmm. So that type of thing. Also, the information. Well, you know how we we got connected through the uh, DD five system. Before that, the NYPD was hitting two rocks together to make a spark to start the fire. You know, <laughs> we were using the typewriters and the carbons and no one knew what the hell was going on in the next precinct. Oh, we used to work in warrants and and, and like not even put down where we caught the person just so when the guy popped again, I knew where to get him and nobody else did. <laughs> <laughs> you should be, put him on the, I got him on the corner of 125 and Broadway. Meanwhile, it was, it was, it was 336 First Avenue. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just, you don't want anybody else grabbing him. We, uh, we were the, Largest user of carbon paper for quite some time, yes. It was so ridiculous, right? Like we're using carbons. Well, I always said... Go ahead. And you wouldn't know what... If someone was looking for the same guy you were looking for in another precinct, you would have no idea, you know? I always said that the reason why the the NYPD is the best detectives in the world is not because uh, they have uh, so much more superior as far as investigators, it's just the fact that they can do the job with so little technology. Like we were so far behind the curve on what everybody, you'd go to the FBI before the Twin Towers went down. I went there and uh, had, you know, had a chance to see that office and see what they were working with. I was like, holy shit, this is unbelievable. You know, like they put, they would put in one, one person, uh, a person's name and they would get all the information on one site. Like it was just, I put in Bill Cannon. I get everything on Bill Cannon, not going to bads, going to cars, going to uh, uh, this. Mark, Mark is talking about in the NYPD to get all the information. You have to go into about nine different computer systems separately and have different codes for each one, right? Yeah, they were yeah. more concerned about the security of the computer system than capturing the bad guy. It'd be like, Ed, what's your code again for, what was the thing to get into uh, a narcotic one? What was that one? Oh, Nitro. Uh, well, nitro. Hey, Ed, what's your code for Nitro? Nitro hey, you got the bad's code, you got a wolf code, you got a car's and the, code. And the deck you know. system, so yeah. yeah. You know, when they, had, when they first had the real-time crime center, they thought that was like, that was NASA for us, you know, and I and I would call these guys and these little pricks at one PP. They would let it go to a voicemail because that's how they would count who was up next. So I called a different number and I said, "Is there any morons in real time crime center working?" And they'd say, "Yeah." I go put one of them on the phone and I scream at the guy. I go, "I'm on the fucking street and I have to go to an answering machine." I'm screaming at the guy, and one of my friends was a lieutenant there. And the next morning he comes in, he goes, "What did you do?" He goes, they're saying that guy Cannon from Homicide, he needs anger management training. <laughs> He's just, and it was Brian Parr. He goes, because he hates you. That's why. 
Because you're in one PP. <laughs> uh, I always tell the story, man. Bill was a scary guy. Like, he's calmed down a lot. Like, <laughs> I don't think he's uh, hardwired right now. But if you would have seen him, folks, if you would have seen him when he was on the job, uh, I'm telling you, man, he was uh, he was intimidating. He used to come in the in, in our squad room, and I'd be like, holy shit, what happened? Like, what's going on? <laughs> We'd go have a meeting in the back. What's going on? Why is he here? <laughs> it's, it's funny. You bring back memories. Uh, before they put all the tech stuff on the TARU, the Technical Assistance Resource Unit, like the narcotics head tech and Detective Bureau head tech. So I was in narcotics. I'm a lieutenant, I guess. We have a case going. So I told one of my guys, I said, okay, we want to put up a pole camera, you know, the camera on a pole to watch the guy's house and when he comes in and out and all that stuff. And it's a nice investigative step that we would take. It would lead to a search warrant, maybe even a wiretap. And a guy, detective comes in. They won't give me a pole camera. Say, why not? The guy just won't give me a pole camera. Some guy, some tech guy down at headquarters. So I call the guy up. Same thing. Hey, what's up? Can't do it, boss. Can't give you the pole camera. Why not? And after five or ten minutes of trying to get to this guy's answer of why not, he said, classic headquarters answer, he said, we only have four, and if I give you one, we'll only have three. What a dick. Like, <laughs> What does that mean? But in his world, it was it made a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Oh, because if he got called to some place, he had to show up with four. He had to have whatever. He didn't want to run low, so I said, "Well, give me one." No, I can't because then I only have three. So that's a that's a mentality you get in headquarters sometimes. Oh, oh, Ed, you would you would be out on the street standing over a dead body, and you'd ask them to do something. They say, "Sarge, I'm going to need a 49." That's when I would explode. I would just explode. <laughs> I would be like, come on, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. I had a, I had a, uh, a young duty captain, and, and for your listeners, a duty captain, every precinct, 24-7, is some captain working to handle any mess that comes along. And I was a rank above that, so I was a duty inspector, so he had to tell me whatever was going on. So it was like around Halloween, and it was in Queens, and they find a dead guy laying in the middle of the street, naked, with no head. So... <laughs> I see his 49. I go to the scene. I see his 49. And he wanted to put everything right. The body was, you know, the feet were facing south. And this was, and he says the classic line, the body was lying in the street face up. <laughs> and I send it back to him. I send it back to him. I go, how do you know? So, <laughs> so just hey, hey, bring torturing up, the young captain. Hey, uh, here's a question from Duty Ron from uh, Marsha. Aisha, what is the one case you couldn't solve and and it still bugs you? Do you still have it on the table, desk at home? You know, I talked about Metaphorically, this. is there a case that you 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 know, no, you, I, you know, I always talked about it last week. Every major, major case that was like a pressworthy case on the NYPD, we solved. The cases we didn't solve were like the perp on perp shooting murders, you know, the narcotics related. So I, I never really lost too much sleep on those type of murders. But any of the real high-profile cases where there was a real victim and you wanted to solve it, it, it seemed that we always solved that. So I don't have a case like that, no. And I, my, my time was mostly in, in investigative world, was mostly in narcotics world and high-level narcotics world and in the intelligence division. But the, the things that would bother me, and I can't even think of any names, is when you'd be on patrol and, and uh, a kid goes missing, and then you find out, like, you know, that kid never got found. And it could be domestic, it could be a parental thing, or that kid got scooped up and, and nobody knows where him or her went ever. And 
Imagine how the haunting feeling is for the investigators, yes, but for the parents where like not even having any idea years later whatever happened to your kid. I mean, yeah, just, just tragically, tragically sad. Right. But, you know, in the, in the drug world, Ed, which you, you worked in narcotics, the 3-4 was home invasion uh, central. Yeah. You know? And most, uh, uh, if our listeners don't know, most home invasions don't happen to uh, John and Jane Doe. They happen to John and Jane drug dealer. And <laughs> the reason their home is getting invaded is because they have narcotics and money in the location, right? Yeah, when I was in the DEA task force, and that was one of the best times of my career, I was a captain there, we had a team, the Red Rum team, and they did drug murders, and they also did police impersonation, home invasion gangs. And you know, you're right, most of the targets, they were they were hitting doors that they thought that money and kilos were in there, but they were also notoriously bad on reconnaissance, where, where the bad guys are in apartment 3A, but they would hit apartment 2A, and they'd get a regular family and they would beat them up and torture them and hang their kids out the window, trying to get them to say where the safe is and where the money is. And there's no money in the place. So those guys were some of the most vicious, horrible criminals. And we took down gangs of them because we would set up stings on them without going into all the details uh, where they think there was money and drugs. And then they, we'd be waiting for them there with the emergency service A team. And we would give them the surprise of their lives. Uh, but these guys were horrible, horrible, crazy, violent people. No, I remember they used to put hot irons to the buttocks of the drug dealers to get them to tell them where the drugs were. You're right. And when they hit the wrong location, they were torturing good people that had they nothing to do with people. the drugs. They would, they would uh, heat up wire hangers and put them under people's armpits. Oh. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. They were real medieval stuff. Hey, those are great stories, Guy. Uh, and uh, really, mean. Marsha, though, if you're asking me, do I have any cases you couldn't solve? Uh, hundreds of them. <laughs> me. No, not at all. Uh, do you still have them on your table? No, they're probably in the drop ceiling still at the 126 precinct. <laughs> Just go push the drop ceiling in the robbery room. Those cases will fall down on top of you. Along with that, along with that book of parking tickets. <laughs> that you never turned in. That's true. But, but you know, it's crazy with those. Uh, and Ed, you were in narcotics for so long. You talked about, uh, uh, you know, there was a lot of narcotics kidnappings too, right? There was, especially when at, when you get to the high levels. Well, my guys, I listen, the only way I got into the DEA task force was as a captain. I worked with some of the best narcotic investigators in the country in the task force back then. And I could rattle off names you might probably know. And very often somebody would get kidnapped. And especially with with the Colombian cartel people and later with the Mexican cartel people, they would even call them friendly kidnapping sometimes. Like, we're going to hold your guy, and he's fine. You know, they're not, you know, he's not in the trunk of a car. He's in a, an apartment or a house somewhere, might have access to the pool. And then if things didn't go right, you know, he'd wind up in a hole. But, but there was a lot of kidnappings. And again, a lot of times they kidnapped good people, or they kidnapped the wife or the daughter who may not know anything about what, what the guy's doing in his, in his drug life. But sadly, these people, you know, become collateral damage. That's crazy, right? What do you think about you know the trend now? You hear some of these woke places that want to legalize all drugs. What do you think about that? You know, I I actually did my master's thesis uh, on on this years ago, and I did it 15, 17 years ago. So I've even softened some of my views on it. But but it's funny. It's they some of them have gone like they they'll use different terms and make it sound a little more benign. Like instead of saying drug legalization, they'll say harm reduction. 
uh, it's it's no, it's like don't say global warming, say climate change. You, right. You're just changing the name of something just to make it a little less controversial, perhaps. Uh, but, but again, you know, I don't I don't understand where they where they think this could be going. You know, it's it's uh, it boggles the mind at times. Well, but but you every it seems to trend now. Almost every well, I shouldn't say every state, but slowly states are uh, legalizing marijuana. Yeah, and, and my contention is, you know, legalizing marijuana, but they want to talk about other things as well. And uh, there's a libertarian view that says legalize everything. You know what? My thing is, you know, we have enough problems with all the problems that come directly and indirectly from alcohol and alcohol abuse. We're going to add to that. Uh, you know, Colorado was, the, I guess, one of the first states to legalize, you know, recreational marijuana. Uh, and they thought it was a big panacea that it's going to put all this money in the tax coffers. I'm sure it puts some money in the tax coffers, but nobody's calculating the other side. You know, the emergency room visits, the lost time at work, sick leave, car accidents, all that stuff has a price tag, too. I would bet if they give it a good, honest analysis what they make in taxes in Colorado on weed, and then there's still a thriving black market for weed anyway in Colorado, but it's it's offset, I'm sure, a lot by the expense of of making it legal. So it's a double-edged sword, and I think it it can be done carefully uh, on the medical side. Uh, listen, if somebody's God forbid in pain or dying of some horrible incurable illness, and they want to do THC or they want to smoke, you know, go for it. God bless you. I, I would not want to get in that person's way. But this this kind of like, you know, free for all where they just want to legalize everything and because they think it's going to be a big windfall in taxes. It's a mistake. It should be done very slowly, very methodically. Uh, and maybe then a yes or no at the end. Should we do it or not? But just to rush it out. Uh, it's a recipe for disaster in some cases. Right. right. I think what we should do is uh, take a page from Oregon. They want to legalize all the drugs there. My point is this. Not only legalize it, but give it to them for free. And then every single time somebody gets locked up anywhere in this country, they'll have an option. If it's for if it's for drug related, they'll have an option. Other than homicide, drug related, you can either go to prison or we're gonna send you to Oregon. <laughs> and this way you'll have all the drug addicts in one place, they can get their drugs for free. And they don't even have to look for drugs anymore. If you take that away from them, did you do this any any part of your research? Did you talk about what what would could happen to somebody if they didn't have to waste their time looking for drugs or looking for the money to get drugs? Yeah. They would actually be able to do their drugs and probably with that peace of mind go back to whatever it, the hell they were doing prior to spending their whole life get just chasing after drugs. <laughs> so Oregon becomes the Kurt Russell movie, Escape from New York. Exactly. Oregon. exactly. But well, you know what? We get rid of them over here. Why not go to Oregon where I'm not going to get arrested, where I can get my drugs for free and you rid the whole country. It's a big state. It's a bit. Why not just put all the money in there? And then you could have treatments. If they want to stop doing drugs, they can go to treatments in Oregon. But just put them all there. What, what, if I was a drug addict, why wouldn't I just go there? And I don't have to I get my drugs for free. I, have, I worry about everything else. Nothing against Oregon. I think some guys, you say Attica or Oregon, they're going with Attica because nobody's <laughs> going to visit them in Oregon. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, I used to love uh, Bloomberg's policy. He would give a one-way ticket to anyone, any homeless person, to anywhere in the United States, but it was one way. 
So that was the way he got rid of homeless people. There's, <laughs> there's a real libertarian, right? Well, I was I did some projects out in uh, Honolulu, and I think I think some of them might have taken him up on the offer because there's a, there's quite a few homeless in Honolulu. But if you're going to be homeless, it ain't a bad place to be homeless. Homeless. Same thing with San Diego. People just register a van that doesn't even run. They park it by the beach, and there's there's free showers and free you know free everything, and they just live in the van. Free rent, you know, because the weather there doesn't get any colder than like seventy five. No. Yeah, that's a big problem all all over San Francisco. It's it's a, people complaining in New York that they 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 see so many more homeless. And, you know, I always, what bothered me about the shelter system and the way it worked was like, um, and it reminds me of the movie with Will Smith when he's with his son. And, uh, you know, they're going and they're standing in line trying to get their ticket to get into the shelter that night. The fact that they would have to move around every single day. And some of these guys are just people that are down in their luck because, you know, they're getting a divorce and the settlement and they got to, I remember picking up a guy uh, on a warrant in Wards Island and he was like, I got to take my tools with me. I was like, you can't take your tools with me. I'm not holding you. And he goes, dude, I got to take them. Otherwise, I'll steal them. This is what I use for work. So I was like, all right. I took his tools. I put them in my locker. When he got out, I gave him his tools. But he was just in the middle of divorce. And she was take, you know, he had to take care of uh, what he had to take care of. And there's not every person that's out there is homeless, is crazy. Some people are just caught in a, in a bad luck. Why can't Very you basically lay their head for a freaking week, a month? Why do they keep moving them around from day to day? I know... The idea is they have family somewhere, let them go live with them, you know, but obviously that doesn't work. So we got to create it. I say give them awards. Uh, I say give them Roosevelt Island. Get all those people off. Give them an apartment in the city. No, Mark, give them Yonkers. <laughs> no, we, Come on now. Come on. No, we got, listen. It's, it's too hilly. It's way too the, hilly. The up last there. time Mark said, hey, could we invade Yonkers and just take it? Remember no, that? I was going to say, just take the police department. Just yeah. now listen, I'm telling you, Yonkers ain't giving up without a fight, pal. <laughs> but seriously, man. He's I still, still loyal to Yonkers. You hear that? He's oh, yeah. Uh, we put him on Roosevelt Island. At the end of the night, we, we pull up the bridge. <laughs> Bring the bridge down. You know, and that was a brilliant thing that they had. That 106th Street bridge that goes to Wards Island. Yeah. At a certain hour, they just pull it up. Now you yeah. can't use the I bridge know, anymore. Amazing. That was a brilliant idea, right? It's amazing. Yeah, I remember should we, be able we, to do we that with the take, other bridges, right? Take the bridge. We we would kind of ferry a guy out of the precinct and go, just just walk on that bridge, and then you you see from a distance the thing is down and up, and we'd be doing going anywhere. Up. We'd be doing lineups, and you know how you got to cruise around looking for people for your lineup, right? So I'd stop, and then we do the lineup, and they'd be like, "Oh, we got to get over the bridge because <laughs> I had to bring it back to Wards Island." Tim Acosta, thank you so much for that ten dollars super chat. Yo, and you know what I got to talk about? I mean, you know, this is actually a police show, so we have to sort of talk about some police topics other than yeah. Yonkers. I mean, Mark is doing the social engineering with Oregon and I know Island, I, well, so. You, He's going to try to solve most of the world's problems during this hour. But <laughs> there's a new thing that just drives me out of my mind. And, you know, you know that liberals, for some reason, especially liberals that have PhDs and law degrees, for some reason, they think they're smarter than everyone else, you know. And I always like to say to them on LinkedIn, I just said something to, uh, uh, what's his name, Travis, who used to be the... Uh, the uh, president of John Jay College, Jeremy Travis. He was also a deputy commissioner. He has He's the vice president of some think tank now with all these eggheads, you know, 
And they come up, they came up with this five point plan that they're recommending to uh, Biden. And I, I wanted to vomit. I ripped into him on LinkedIn, just like, and basically what I feel is like, he, they're talking as if like parolees are good guys. And I, I was almost like, put these parolees in your neighborhood and have a nine millimeter stuck in your face and have them say, hey, give me your money or I'm going to shoot you and see how much of a liberal you stay. You know what I mean? The definition of a liberal used to be, or a conservative used to be a liberal that just got mugged, right? Yep, yep. And I just get sick of hearing their opinions because it's just a bunch of horse shit. Yeah, let's let's ruin New York like you did Chicago, like you did Baltimore, like you did LA. Let's ruin all these cities with your woke ideas hidden behind academia, you know? You can yeah, see I'm you, know, you can see I'm angry. Yeah, yeah. I love the passion. Uh, but also we all know too that you know when Bratton came in in the mid nineties to NYPD and with Jack Maple, John Timoney, rest his soul and Louis Animo and a bunch of good people, and crime steadily went down. And for several years, crime across the country was going down, but it was mainly been it was mainly being driven by our numbers. Like in the other places, it was kind of steady, maybe going down a little bit. We were we were basically, I know I'm, I'm bragging, but I, I, please forgive me, uh, the New York City numbers were driving the country's crime reduction. And it was almost like, you, you couldn't leave well enough alone. Nothing against Jeremy Travis. I've met him. He's, he's a good man. Uh, yeah, but he's a but, sickening but, liberal. Let's face but, it. He's but a, sick, a lot of people think he's that a sickening parolees, liberal. <laughs> he's a lot of sickening. people think that parolees and wanted people uh, are hiding. And no, very often they're still committing crimes. Wanted people, they think they're not hiding in the basement. They're still committing crimes. And and to think that that they can all be painted with a brush, like, you know, uh, like Father Flanagan, no such thing as a bad boy. Well, they're still doing bad things. <laughs> he's a good boy. He's a good boy. <laughs> yeah, he's a good lad. You know, you know. We still, I always tell this story. You know, the, the same thing is, you know, they call it community corrections, where in essence you serve your sentence within the community. And what the way they do that is allegedly higher levels of supervision. For example, poor ejemplo. <laughs> a, a electronic monitor on your on your on your ankle, right? In the two eight, we had a guy go outside his house and shoot a guy, and then go right home. He had an electronic uh, monitor on. We loved it. Hey, let's just go to his house. He's home now after he yeah. just shot a guy. Yeah, that really worked. That electronic monitor, but he know? made his curfew. If you yeah, want to yeah. do something like that, and this could be effective on low level crimes, and I'm I'm not even kidding. When I was a kid, I used to get thrown out of class. The first move that they used to do was the teacher would throw me out and I'm going to have to stand by the wall outside the classroom and face that wall. And then the other kids would walk by me and they would make fun of me. Hey, what are you doing? I'd say, hey, fuck you. And then I'd, Hey, Joe Kane from Finest Financial just laid 20 bucks on us. Thank you, I'm Joe. Just, I'm just going to give it back to him on the 4th because I'm going to have my taxes done. <laughs> Thank so, you, Joe. <laughs> I think we take these people and we make them stand on the corner and face the wall. Low-level crimes, and people could come by and kick them in the ass. And you have well, to like those things back in medieval, the the stocks. You yeah, those things. yeah. Well, you might be onto something, Mark. What I don't else know. are we gonna do? What else are we gonna do? If you want them in the community, the com What they're saying is that we want you to take care of it yourself. And people who can afford 
to get their own personal and private security, they're going to do it, the rich people. And the other people are going to be stuck with the NYPD. That's it. And to, and to Bill's point before about the, the guy with the monitor going out and shooting somebody anyway, you know, community incarceration might have some merit uh, in, the, in, the, in some cases. But the reality is the, the, the robber, the burglar, the shooter, the gang guy, He's already in his community. He's victimizing his community. So, so what's the point of now saying, okay, now you're going to be confined to your community? Yeah, uh, that's it. because they're so happy they got rid of him, and now you're putting him back. The, 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 Mark, the, Mark, you hit it on the head, but these people act as if, oh, the community is lesser because Jailhouse Jack is upstate in Kaksaki. Bring him I, home, and they're like, I don't want him home. You know. When I was in the 2-6, there was a drug gang there right before I got there. And they took over the neighborhood. The Amsterdam Avenue houses. And as soon as they got rid of them, the whole neighborhood breathed a sigh of relief. And then when I got back into the command that we started having a lot more robberies and a lot more shootings, it was because a lot of these guys were coming out of prison now. And those people breathed a sigh of relief. They had a moment there, three, four, five years, where they didn't have to worry so much. They didn't have to be scared so much. And now one by one, these guys were coming back. And that's what happens. You want to send them back sooner? You don't even want to give them the four or five years of, of uh, they can breathe? Yeah, I've been in a lot of, you know, church basement, community groups, and you know, school cafeterias. And what a lot of the folks out there are making a lot of noise, like that old saying, the empty barrel makes the most noise. Uh, a lot of them haven't been talking to those folks in neighborhoods of color. No. Uh, they, don't want, they don't want brutal policing. They want fair policing. They want respectful policing but they want policing they don't want that guy uh, victimizing the neighborhood they like to see that guy justly charged and convicted and sent away to jail uh and so he can't do that anymore to them so that that old lady that that would be at the church the meeting the basement you know asking for help from the police you know and and the the counterculture is saying no 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 we're going to try something different she doesn't want anything different she wants she wants the bad guy who's who's robbed her last week in jail and it's as simple as that and some of these folks need to spend some time in those community groups and hearing what the real people have to say the problem is, is that when you get the community too involved they want to start dictating who can get arrested and who can't so you have a situation outside where all of a sudden esu is starting to come and all the cars are starting to fly we got a barricade prisoner and now the city the, the, the all the people from the the city council and whoever they are for the borough president, they want to come and tell you what to do with that situation. And now, now you see the cops backing off and leaving. If it just happened with the, with the barricaded person um, that they had to leave that scene. Yeah. And uh, it's, you, know, you know, Mark, you hit it right on the head. You know, they did that in another state. A guy actually shot at the police and they were waiting and waiting and waiting. The chief said, all right, let's just leave now. And they left, they left a guy who shot and his wife was in the house with him. So what if he kills his wife right now? Don't you have to see that job through the conclusion? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're, again, you're, you're just leaving a dangerous situation to fester and, and perhaps get worse. And, you know, there has to be a reckoning. If somebody shoots at the cops, if somebody shoots at somebody else, uh, I know you got to weigh all options, but, you know, uh, I, I see it as, you know, you're abdicating responsibility in that case. Again, I don't know all the facts, but to me, it's like you stay until the job is done. It's like the old West where 
before the sheriff or the, the deputy went in, the, the town had a meeting and like, oh, he's holed up over there. And <laughs> what are we going to do? And they, okay, then they all come up to a decision. That's what you're going to have to, that's what you're, that's what you're guiding towards. You're guiding towards, he's holed up over there. But they, but they could get a, they could form a posse. See, that's, that's the difference. They, in those, in those scenarios, in those Westerns, they could form a posse. Yeah, that's true too. Well, you know, Ed, you were talking before about uh, what got New York City to become the largest safe city basically in the world. And it was broken windows policing and, you know, uh, going after the little things with the theory that uh, enforcing the little crimes would have an effect on the larger crimes. And that's, you know, the broken windows theory. And it worked like a charm in New York City. And now if you mention that to progressives, they act like that was, you know, like Hitler taking over the city, you know? It's well, amazing. And the, the a residual of that was when when bad guys were looking over their shoulder, guys who were carrying guns were looking over their shoulder looking for the cops because they know they might get stopped. Uh, they weren't even having the gun on them a lot. They wanted to have it nearby, so they'd put it on top of a, a tire of a car in a garbage can wrapped in a brown paper bag. So it wasn't readily available. So you had less of those spontaneous shootings because the guy had to go get the gun. So it wasn't like he had it on him all the time. Now, I'm sadly, I'm thinking that they're they're comfortable with the gun on them again because they know they're not going to get, they're probably not going to get stopped nearly as frequently as they might have got stopped in the past. Well, I read today that they're coming out with another version of the, I guess, street crime unit. It's going to be uh, uniform, but in unmarked. And they're starting to bring it back. There, there's uh, this, they're not going to let the, they're going to try their best to, to salvage what they can of the city right now and because it was just it was with the train the stabbings the the ripper and the train it's kind of waking everybody up in new york and the poor people that are still here that didn't have the money or love the city too much to flee um you know you're now you're gonna have to deal with this so it's they have to step up and they have to actually do police work you can't stop uh you know Look, they even prohibited them from doing verticals in the housing projects. I mean, I think the people that live there want cops yeah. doing verticals. You know, they got the peace of mind of of cops regularly being in the stairwells, going up and down, and you know, you lose that. You know, well, the bad because, guys pick up pretty quick on that. Well, people in the uh, you know in housing projects that don't live there are selling drugs in buildings they don't live in. They're having sex in the stairwells. They're using stairwells as bathrooms. The elevators is bathrooms. And then the politicians say they don't want the police doing verticals because guess what? They don't live in the projects. No. You know? Hey, Duty Ron says, and what about what message do you send out to the other bad guys? Hey, can we get away with this? Bad guys aren't stupid when it comes to that. And it's true. It's like if you can carry a gun again, they know. Um, they know they know they know the police cars in the neighborhood. They know the license plate. They remember the faces. They remember the cars. You know, it, it's uh, these are people who are out there. They're professional criminals. They're out there every day, either dealing or slinging or robbing or a combination of all three. And they'll and they'll they're taking advantage of the of the the less vigilant environment out there. They know that yeah. the cops are not going to jump out of the cars quickly. The cops are worried about getting in trouble. The cops are worried about maybe not being supported enough by the city, so they're gonna they're gonna use that to their full advantage as much as they can. You know, and you spoke about um, the type of shootings you would get, and you're right. When someone's carrying a gun on them, you get what I call the dis 
shootings. Yep. Someone bumps into you or someone looks at you and, you know, you know, I'm a tough guy. I'm in the hood. I, 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 I got to get street cred. I'm going to shoot. What did you say? I'm going to well, shoot that guy just because he dissed me, you know? When you have a gun on you and somebody bumps into you and, you know, what did you say? Instead of just going. If you didn't have the gun, uh, screw that dude. I'm just going to keep – when he got the gun on you, what did you say? That moment when you come back and you go, what did you say? Now you're in the, now you're in the middle of it when you could have just walked away. And that's what happens to what Bill said in the street. If you got a gun, what did you say? Right. Hey, yeah. um, we got to give a shout-out right now to uh, Soldier Girl. She came on from Duty Ron. Hello, Soldier Girl. Moonlight View, also another uh, Duty Ron fan that's uh been kind enough to join our thread here laura rudolph that's funny rising crime on cops how about all the people out of work still home from COVID and nothing to do there you go that's the scary stuff when you can't come out of your house and all you you're, you're stuck in your house now because it's crazy outside you know what i'd love to see the numbers not on just the people that have sold their apartments and moved on to uh other places in new york city i would love to see the numbers of people fleeing what used to be gentrification neighborhoods. Yeah. I'd love to see those numbers. People bang, bailing out on rentals. Just, I'm, I'm going to get out of here. It's, it's, it, it doesn't look the same anymore. They look angry, these people. I'm going to get out of here. Well, Mark, weren't they saying like even most of the, uh, even in affluent areas in Manhattan, that 60% of the people left the buildings? Maybe they're starting yeah, to come I, back now, but but don't. Well, I'm talking about people who have other properties, but not those people. I'm talking about the people that gentrified. They went, the white people that went into all these neighborhoods, and it was the, the neighborhood. The climate was changing, everything like that. No, it's okay. I live in Bed Stuy. I live, you know. And then all of a sudden, it's not so nice anymore. I want to know the numbers of those people fleeing. How many of those vacant apartments now are there? These gentrified neighborhoods that are yeah, not going to do it—do a die bed sty. They, you know, they ain't going to die, so they're going to get out of there, right? <laughs> I, don't I, see had, I had guys in my academy class, and I'd be like, "Where you're from?" And they would say, "Do a die bed sty." You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "That's right, man. You got to so, do, yeah. or else you're going to die." We were just—we were Washington Heights, and we would just say the Heights, the Heights. That's yeah, right, man. the Heights, man. The Heights are cooking right now. Let me tell you, man. That freaking area up there. There's so much traffic. They're always digging in the street. Then you got these people that get run over because what they do is they rent out mopeds up there. They don't ask you for a license or nothing. You know, all you see these mo. It looks like, and listen, I'm half Dominican, so I can say this. It looks like you're in the DR because you get people riding on mopeds, not stopping at light, no helmet, and then every once in a while you see a, a block that's blocked off. And crime Mark, you forgot tape. to say, and they don't have any socks on. <laughs> they got the crime scene tape. The whole block is blocked off, and all you see is one of those uh, those scooters. Laid out. <laughs> That's all you see. It's Mark, we, we encourage free spirits in the heights. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, listen, we're over an hour right now. So, uh, Bill, do you want to give a shout out to any of our uh, people that were in the chat room before we go? And then we'll. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of great people. And it, all you folks that are in the chat room, if you haven't yet subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please do so. We're just we're 19 away from 3,000. We're trying to bulk up our numbers. Duty Ron has been helping us out. By something I call in the podcast industry as cross pollinization, 
And uh, you guys that are showing up from Duty Ron's channel to help us out, thank you so much. Randy Malcolm Lavina from Myrtle Beach. Wow. How's Myrtle Beach these days? Nice and warm. And Moonlight View. Moonlight Mount View lives in a gun country in the California coast. Ranchers galore. Look at that. Yo, Joey Brooklyn. Yo, buddy. Christopher Strom, an American hero from Brooklyn to Baghdad. Duty Ron, thank you. Tim Acosta, you're the man. Thank you for being such a great patron of us. Um, soldier Girl. Soldier Girl. Oh, my little soldier girl. All right. You all are fans in the chat and uh, tuning in live and the people that are going to watch this in the future, if you're really enjoying what we're doing, we also have special uh, shows that we do for our Patreon subscribers. Bill Judd's uh, true, uh, true Crime Show. That's really, really off the charts. It's a, you know, he's a homicide, retired homicide sergeant. He's talking to other detectives that handle major homicide cases. He's got one coming up. He'll tell you about a triple homicide. Yeah, in fact, tomorrow, yeah, uh, Phil Grimaldi, he was a Brooklyn detective. He's going to uh, talk about a triple homicide that he worked in 1992 uh, in, in his precinct. I think it was the 6-0 precinct in Brooklyn. Uh Great story, and he he's a great he's a great storyteller. He re, retells the story very well, and we go over all the investigative uh, resources we use to solve cases like that. Look, in 1992, there was no DNA. Uh, the first the first actual cases linked by DNA in Manhattan, actually in New York City, happened in 1997, and that was on the Aaron Key uh, serial killer case out of the two three. So people and, uh, always people always say, "Oh, why didn't you use DNA?" Because it wasn't around yet, you know. <laughs> I have a show too that I do. It's called One on One with Mark the Mayo. I also have a new storytelling show that I'm going to share with you exclusively. Uh, stories from the job, stories from my life. It's going to be a lot of fun. I love telling stories. And um, before we go and we say goodbye to our guest tonight, I just want to say one more time. Uh, to check out, please check out the best hot sauce in the world, Silk City Hot Sauce. And remember, it's made with small batches, pure ingredients, locally grown peppers. And uh, please visit SilkCityHotSauce.com. Put in your coupon code for a 15% discount. And that coupon code is OTC for off the cuff. Uh, great, great hot sauce. I put it on everything. You'll enjoy it. And then finally, you our- know, Mark, just I'd like to give the uh, someone in, in our live chat uh, the ability to ask one question from the retired NYPD chief, Yonkers Police Commissioner, the great Edward Hartnett. If anyone has a question they'd like to ask the police commissioner, uh, maybe about how much money he has, I don't know. <laughs> Anything like that. <laughs> I was hoping I could help you guys sell a couple more microwave ovens <laughs> or something. Oh, about his consulting business, if you need someone to. Joe Clark, thank you so much. Duty Ron sent you. Uh, anyone, anyone, anyone have a question for the great Yonkers PC? Ed Hartnett International. He's, hey, he's, he's, hey, <laughs> well, we were on a roll. We had so many people chiming in here to see Duty Ron, and now you leave. <laughs> Everybody says hello. Uh, hey, guys, if, if I may, listen, first of all, thank you again for having me. It's, it's fun. Uh, I, I have to say I'm proud of you guys. I mean, I've, I've seen where this is, where it was, where it's going. Uh, I, I do encourage folks to uh, to sign up with Patreon, to sign up as patrons. Uh, I, I very much enjoy being a part of the whole process, and uh, it's entertaining. It's informative. It's a lot better than some of the junk on TV, so uh, – 
folks, uh, listen to an old timer and, and sign up. You're one of our regulars. Uh, you're always welcome back if you want to, uh, you know, when this comp company of yours goes public, if you want to give us a tip, we'll take it. <laughs> if in. you want to call me on the side and say, listen, I'll, I'll take that too. But um, <laughs> listen, if I, it has to be in code though. If I say, Mark, the ducks have landed on the pond, that means buy it. <laughs> you said it was easy. Just before you go, you said it was CRG plans, right? COG Plans is, is my friend's company, yes. And yeah, I, yeah. I tell you, it's just just check out their website. Outstanding, fantastic technology. I'm going to turn you, my son. No, Ed, someone asked if you're uh, related to the hot nets from Kenilworth, New Jersey. Only if they're wealthy. Yeah, yeah. And there was another question. Uh, do you really count $100 bills on Sunday afternoons? <laughs> yeah, both of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us, Ed. It was a pleasure. Oh, and someone wants to know how was policing Yonkers any different than New York City? Was it any different? Every police department has a different culture. There was there was some good aspects of it and bad aspects, just like our own NYPD culture. But by and large, uh, good cops, good men and women, plugged into the street. Uh, they know their community. Uh, they they at times they 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 took care of business a little extreme, but uh, we got them uh, to to pay more attention to that stuff. And I'm very proud of uh, the work they do up to this very day even they're doing a great job and and i'm I, I one of the one of the proudest moments i had was being their pc for five years and you're a great man and that's why we keep having you come back you know? thank you anytime guys change your mind run for new york city mayor that's what peter pranzo says <laughs> he's the best Pete looked out for me as a young cop in a three two god bless you pete <laughs> Really? Hey, he's a, he's a gem. We have some people watching us that are part of the NYPD Hall of Fame, even though there is there isn't one. But we're appointing them to that Hall of Fame. Hey, uh, also, too, before we go, I just want to remind everybody: if you're in the area, if you're in Rhode Island, Massachusetts, uh, Connecticut, I'll be performing this Sunday night, March seventh, eight p.m. show at uh, the Mohegan Sun Comics Roadhouse. Love to have you. Um, if you haven't subscribed to our Patreon, uh, not not to our Patreon, to our YouTube, and you watch the show tonight and you really enjoy it, please, doesn't cost nothing. Just uh, press, uh, press the su uh, subscribe button on, on YouTube. And uh, this way we can get to uh, Bill. What's the magic number? 3,000, right? Yeah, well, we're only 19 away from 3,000. Well, so. yeah, that would be great if we could hit that tonight. That's, that's a milestone for us, you know. So. If we push a couple more washes and dryers, we'll get to that number <laughs> yeah. tonight. Duty Ron has a lot to do with that. Those uh, Duty Ron helped us out a lot, and you rarely ever see that kind of stuff coming from uh, somebody who's in the same line of work as you, but he's a special person. We really, really appreciate Duty Ron and all the people that have tuned in that are Duty Run fans and giving us a chance. We also really, really appreciate you. Amen. Thank you again, guys. <laughs> Thanks. Good night, everyone. Thank you for listening. God bless, guys. Thank you. Stay safe. Bye.